everybody. It is Stacey Higginbotham, and you are listening to the Internet of Things podcast. We are back, and here is my co-host... Kevin Tovel. And welcome to the show. We've got a lot of news today. We've got some exciting gadget reviews, and we have a great guest who actually is also the CEO of a gadget company. So we're heavy on gadgets this week. So let's get started. Yeah, Kevin's like, yay! I'm a gadget guy. You are. And I'm a business gal and a gadget gal. So many things. So let's get started with the exciting news that is not exciting. Actually, it's kind of (laughs) sad. That's a terrible segue. So Ninja Blocks, Mm. it is a company out of Australia that was making a really cool home hub device uh, called the Ninja Sphere. It it looked Mm -hmm. kind of like, heck, it looked like an alien ship that was landed on your coffee table, basically. It was part sphere and part pyramid. They called it a spiramid. There you go. The, Seriously. They did. And we had we had Pete Moore, who was a co-founder of the Ninja Sphere, it was made by the company that made Ninja Blocks, uh, on the podcast about a year and a half ago. And he talked about kind of thinking of his thinking about the market and designing this thing. And kind of the differentiating factor about the Ninja Sphere was that it used gesture controls. Mm-hmm. It used EMF, actually, to figure out where your hands were in in the room so you could gesture to the ninja sphere to turn your lights on or actually it was mostly used for lighting but mm-hmm. i thought that was a very nice ui thing um because it, it kind of conceded that maybe you don't have your phone on you all the time and maybe you don't want to pull it out of your pocket mm-hmm. and open it up and turn on your lights because that's kind of inconvenient this is true and i'll tell you it, it's an interesting looking product and it was really expensive. I mean, I hate to harp on cost because I normally do, but $249 was a bit much, I think. It, it was. It was expensive. And so what happened? They they wrote a blog post about it. They mm-hmm. ran out of money. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they spent a lot of time developing the sphere. And basically, they, they couldn't raise their next round. And all but 300 of the Ninja Spheres were built and boxed, and they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. So they are going to ship those. Um, if you ordered one and you didn't, if you ordered one and you're one of the 300 that they can't make, they're going to prioritize those by those who ordered more than one. So mm-hmm. if you ordered multiple Ninja Spheres, you're probably only going to get one of them. And they're hopeful that maybe they'll get somewhere, someone nice will give them additional money to get those last 300. Mm-hmm. Um, if you bought from the site within the last few months, you'll be getting a refund. And Kickstarter, backer, Kickstarter backers will receive their spheres. Um, and Sad and, news. Yeah, it, it is sad. And yeah, that is, that is sad. Mm-hmm. And there's the, the only other thing I would like to point out is they did talk about like the cloud costs because mm. because they make the ninja blocks, um, they have scaled back some of the features and servers associated with the ninja block service. So they're going to try to keep that as long keep that going as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should expect that it may go down, but they're going to let you know before. And that's kind of an interesting conundrum for mm-hmm. anyone who buys into some of these cloud-backed products. Yep. I was just going to say that. I mean, we've talked about this in, on past shows, how I kind of prefer to have a, a smart hub in my house that's not really cloud-connected, but 
more something that I'm in control of because, well, this is one of the reasons. And there's a couple of other reasons that I, I would prefer that, but this is a biggie. It is. And, you know, cloud-connected services do come and go. It's it's very hard, I guess, if you don't have a big backer to, even if you do have a big backer, Sony actually, there's a Internet of Things 404 kind of Tumblr that tracks this sort of thing. There's actually not that many products on it, but Sony's Ibo robot, I don't know if you remember the robot dogs, they were like oh, yeah. 2005, maybe 2006? They've been around a while, yeah. So in 2014, they finally took those offline officially. So they mm. stopped supporting them and there were no more Ibo's Poor little doggies. I know, they put them, they put them down. They put them down. Oh. They're in a field in Michigan. I flipped a switch and put my puppy down. So so even big companies don't support their products forever. That is mm-hmm. the moral here. Yep. Um, so sad news um, for the Ninja Blocks guys, but I, I I think they did it the right way. They were very transparent. Um, you know, you can feel in their posts that they wrote that they were kind of bummed about this whole thing and they're doing what they can and they're trying to let people know. And I don't know. It sucks. It does. So. There we go. Now we'll move on to a big company doing something. I don't really know if it's happy or not. It's just a big (laughs) company doing something. Today at the Internet of Things World Conference in San Francisco, Samsung, you may have heard of them, has launched a a series of chips called the Arctic Chips Mm -hmm. for the Internet of Things. Dun, dun, dun. That puts it in competition with Intel, uh, Qualcomm, Broadcom, Freescale, NXP, all the other Atmel. I mean, really, everyone. <laughs> the list goes on. It goes on. Everyone's building chips for the Internet of Things. Mm-hmm. So there are three of them. There's the Arctic One, which is a tiny little, it looks like an MCU, um, with Bluetooth and a nine-axis sensor. It looks like a, is it a nine-axis gyroscope um, accelerometer? It I don't just know. says motion sensor on, motion their, sensor on the Arctic.io site. Okay. And that is running uh, embedded RTOS. It's the Nucleus OS. It's a RTOS from Mentor Graphics. I know that I've heard of other companies using this. There's a gajillion million RTOSs out there. So if that's your flavor of the month, that's what it's running. Mm-hmm. And that's designed for really small things like, I don't know if it would run in watches. That's my guess. Watches kind of things designed to work with the phone. And then the bigger versions are kind of dumb phone and smarter phone is kind Mm -hmm. of how I think, or maybe smart hub and I don't know, door lock. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to, it's hard to say. I mean, when you look at the the specifications for the Arctic five and the Arctic 10, you start getting close to like low end smartphone uh, processors here, you know, dual core and octa core arm chips, uh, five, 12 meg of memory or two gig of memory. You get the addition of Zigbee and Wi-Fi, the 802.11 BG and N flavors. Um, so you start getting you know, more into almost like a low-end smartphone. Well, but this is the Internet of Things, Kevin. So we're thinking thermostat and connected mm. hub. You're, yeah. You're like smartphones. Well, they, they seem pretty powerful for, say, a thermostat or something. I mean, they're talking about hardware video codecs, uh, you know, of... 720p decoding at uh, 30 frames a second for the Arctic 5 and 1080p video decoding. So, I mean, uh, it seems like overkill for, say, a a thermostat. I I don't know what they're going to use these for. Well, I mean, maybe if you stick it, I mean, if you think about kind of a connected wall plate, for example, Mm -hmm. you might want that to run. 
Netflix. Video. No, just kidding. Maybe not Netflix, but you might want it to run video <laughs> of who's at your front door or Very true. feed from Very true. your connected office. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Um, so in and honestly, they're probably I, I assume they're repurposing. I think I read somewhere that they're repurposing their Exynos line for these chips. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that, you know, they might be a little overkill, but you know, you start out with some intelligence in one place and you never say, gosh, I wish I could do less with this hardware. <laughs> this no one, is true. No one ever says that. No, not you typically not a good strategy for business, no. So so that's what these are. And on the OS side, I, I was kind of surprised. I don't know if you were, but they aren't running Tizen. Yeah, that does surprise me because you and I sat at that uh, It's a Small World keynote at CES where Samsung was talking about Internet of Things. <laughs> and we're all going to come together in one ginormous global group hug. And Tizen is going to be the platform that ties it all together for Internet of Things. There's no mention of Tizen at all. Instead, it's all you know Arduino, like you said, Nucleus OS, um, programming, and, and Java, and C++. And yeah, where's, where's Tizen? I don't know, but there is... So there is... For a development environment on these chips, they do support Groovy, which is what the SmartThings Home mm-hmm. Hub is using. And SmartThings was bought by Samsung, mm-hmm. for those of you guys out there who are like high on SmartThings. So that is the Samsung chip announcement. We'll, we'll move into Broadcom. Also at Internet of Things World had an announcement that a lot of people might be excited about. They actually had two. One is a chip that does faster Bluetooth, doubles the speed of Bluetooth Yay. data rates. Yay, faster Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll actually be good in your watch, maybe, Kevin. Although oh, please. It needs it. Let me just say that right now. Because all the app data on the Apple Watch coming from the iPhone, it, it oh, it's, it's faster sometimes for me to just pull out the phone. I kid you not. I, I wouldn't doubt that. It's it's the first generation. Mm. So, But the thing that most people are probably excited about is the soft, Broadcom has a software platform on top of its chips for mm-hmm. developers. And this one, they're adding HomeKit to its software platform. And as part of that, it's called Wicked is, mm-hmm. is the name of the platform. They're supporting HomeKit. And we're kind of reading in between the lines, or actually we're not. It talks about it directly. It talks mm-hmm. about how it's supporting the bridging strategy for mm-hmm. HomeKit. And basically... It talks about having the bridging capability to connect endpoints that are not HomeKit enabled. Yay! Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, they specifically give you an example. They say this allows a product like a Bluetooth smart light bulb to connect to a smart plug containing Broadcom's, Broadcom's Wicked module, cre- creating a bridge from the bulb to the HomeKit-supported app on their iOS device. So, very cool. So, yes, and it says it'll make it easier for customers using Siri or iOS applications to control HomeKit enabled. Oh, nope, just kidding. That's not that's not in here. I got all excited. Like, I could use Siri to control my non-HomeKit yeah, stuff. Yeah, not, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. My suspicion would be Apple products would first support that, and then Apple would open Siri up a little bit more. We'll see. So yeah. that's yeah. the hopeful stuff. And mm-hmm. now, so that's that's kind of the big news for this week. I can't think of other big news items. So we we got sadness and we've got chips. How about a little uh, joyous light bulb review? 
joyous light <laughs> reviews. I love it. So yeah, last week I sent Kevin, I had the Hue folks send Kevin some light bulbs so he could actually get in on this internet of things and smart home stuff that we always talk about. It's about time, right? It is about time. Yes. I did not have to unpack uh, my own stuff from my move that didn't happen last year. Instead, the hue bulbs were sent here along with the bridge. You were right on the last show. You said this is going to take me like five minutes to set up. Kudos to uh, the folks at Hue because it took even less time. I mean, literally, I, I pulled out the uh, Raspberry Pi that I have connected to my home router uh, over Ethernet, and I plugged in the Hue light bridge instead in its place. Literally pressed a button on that, had the light bulbs already turned on, screwed into the various fixtures, and boom, that was it. And then it was just a matter of getting the app, the Hue app, on my iPhone. And I, I'll be honest, I like the Hue app far better on my phone than I do on my Apple Watch. More on that in a second. Um, you Obviously, Stacey, you've used the, the Hue app, so you know what it's like. You can pick the color of any and all lights. You can change the brightness on any of them. So I was having fun with that on the iPhone. And then because I do have an Apple Watch, it says, hey, we've got Apple Watch support. You want to put that on your Apple Watch? I said, sure. It's kind of limited. Um, I, I'd say it's more like the like a widget, basically, that literally you preload certain scenes for your lights onto your Apple Watch. You do that all from the phone. And then when you go in the Hue app on your watch, you have those scenes and you just tap them and the lights change. So you can't control brightness there. I would love to see that digital crown be a nice little raise or lower the brightness level, uh, but maybe that's not possible just yet. So it's early days. As you said, the Apple Watch, it's version one. Um, I don't have to use my phone to actually change the colors of the lights or, uh, you know, because I can do that from the watch. But it's it still leaves a little bit of control to be desired yet. Have you seen on other watch apps a little bit less of the widget feel and more of a true app feel? You know, I didn't look for, I know there are other third-party apps, but I really just wanted to use the native Hue app to give it a full test because I think most people who buy these bulbs are probably not going to go searching around for apps. They're going to follow the instructions in the in the kit and they'll say, oh, let me go get my my app from for iOS or Android. I don't know if they're going to venture beyond that. Oh, I was thinking more less hmm. Hue specific and more just in general on other apps. Ah, okay. Well, quite honestly, the only true native apps on the Apple Watch are really those from Apple itself. Even though the Watch Kit platform is available, developers can't create native apps. So basically what they are, they're all extensions of iPhone apps right now, meaning they're very much like widgets. Um, you can do notifications and glances and such, but again, I'm, I'm seeing more of them that, that look and feel just like the widgets you might add to your, your notification screen on iOS right now. It, again, early days, Apple hasn't really opened it up yet for richer functionality. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So now, and soon we'll see a an Insteon review, right? You've just you've just wet my appetite, Kevin. Now I want the Insteon <sighs> Apple Watch I'm, review. I'm kind of tired from screwing in these three light bulbs, to be honest. Oh, you know, Kevin, in my house, I have to get a ladder <laughs> out to screw in my light bulbs. Uh, no, no, no. That's on my list. It's on my to-do list. If I look at my Apple Watch and the to-dos, it's on there. There we go. I, I, I can't wait to see. Uh, <laughs> all right. I, I will report back, actually, on me on, on the Amazon Echo in the house. Just a quick little reporting back. I've noticed it getting a little wonkier lately mm. with both the Hue lights. Mm -hmm. In the last week, it has been 
It has responded when I ask it to turn off the lights. It has said, okay, but then it doesn't turn them off. So hmm. it's it's kind of interesting. I'm trying to figure out what is going on on the back end. Or maybe we need like a full reboot of the system. Or what? I don't know. So I, I've reached out to Amazon to try to figure out what might be happening on the back end. And I guess I should reach out to Hugh as well um, just to see because, and I'm curious, readers, or I guess you could be listeners, listeners, if you're <laughs> noticing the same thing, if you've got this, you know, tied in, let me know, info at iotpodcast.com because it's a little weird because it, it had been working perfectly and now it's getting a little, a little laggy and a little iffy. So there we silly, go. Silly cloud systems. I know. How do I reboot the cloud? Help. Mm. Okay, so we're going to start a new segment on the show, and we're going to see how it works, but we're calling it, in the spirit of IoT <laughs> podcast and other clever namings, the five-minute device review. <laughs> well, what will it be? Let's see. Probably we're, five minutes of a device review. <laughs> we're going to take seven minutes and talk about <laughs> flowers. Um, so this is five minutes on a device. I haven't actually timed this, so it may actually not be five minutes. It may take a little more, a little less. But this week's device is going to be the Mayo. And the Mayo is an armband that you guys, you put it on your forearm, mm -hmm. and it is a gesture-controlled device. It is brand new. Well, it's actually not that new. It's about a year old. You mm -hmm. can buy it now from Amazon, and you have been able to buy it for the last couple months for $199. It's from a company in Canada, and it's called Thalmic Labs. And they sent me one because on Thursday, they're announcing basically that you can now use the Mayo to control presentations. I have been excited about the Mayo since it was announced back in like 2013, because I think gesture control is really fascinating. I had been playing with it all the way back in like 2012 when I was thinking about like using a disco, a disco kind of arm motion to like turn on my lights to like party <laughs> mode. I thought that'd be like super fun. Even um, then, Stacy was hooked on the lights. Even then. Yes, I'm, I'm hard to live with. Um, and in my disco arm motion is is over the top completely. <laughs> so I, I just think there is a place for gesture in the home and with the Internet of Things. So when they announced this, I was like, huh, this could be really interesting. So having tested it for only about an hour or so, I think it's too much money to spend mm -hmm. on a very limited use case mm -hmm. unless you have like severe mobility problems because mm -hmm. the presentation thing was not as interesting to me because I don't give a lot of presentations. And I actually think if you were giving a lot of presentations, some of the gestures like double tap and like making a fist and rotating them mm -hmm. would actually be very distracting for people watching you give the presentation. Mm -hmm. They would be kind of like, what, what is she doing up there? Why is she doing that little weird miming dance thing with her arms? But you can actually assign mouse keys to the Mayo um, and keyboard keys to the Mayo fairly easily. And that's what I was playing with. And so you can actually, instead of like clicking on your mouse, you can actually assign like a, a fist rotation. So instead of a double tap, I assigned a fist rotation to it. And that was actually kind of fun. It wasn't exactly practical. I think mm -hmm. I would have to spend a lot more time figuring out the 
the smoothest gesture and then training myself to actually, instead of using a mouse, just using the Mayo and my body. Right. Um, but that actually had a lot of promise. And since I have, especially towards the summer, a lot of carpal tunnel, mm-hmm. I thought it might be worth it because I actually spent 75 or 80 bucks on like a really fancy, I don't know, sideways mouse and another hundred and something on dragon dictation software. So, yeah, I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I see this more as a, as a good tool for people who have limited mobility because this doesn't just just measure how your forearm itself is moving. But as you said, you can make a fist. You can do different gestures at the finger level because there are um, special, I mean, it's, it has sensors that can actually track finger movement as well. So there's a lot you could do with it. And for somebody with limited mobility, I could see a lot of value here. Exactly. It Because what it does is it it rests right on your forearm. And it's actually, it seemed pretty comfortable to me. I don't know how long the battery lasts. And it does take up a USB port for the Bluetooth connectivity. So mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're short on ports, that's something to think about. Uh, and... Like the tapping, there's there's the finger motion, there's fists, and then there's like a like a, a forward backwards wrist movement with your hand that's kind of fun and useful. And I'm not sure. Again, I haven't I haven't played with it enough or set up the right sequence that I would feel comfortable using it all day long yet. Mm-hmm. But it, it's definitely worth playing with for something like that. Or even I, I would be really interested in getting a physical therapist to play with it and set up something for me or for someone who's having a hard time using it. And Mm -hmm. I think that would be kind of definitely worth paying for if you could set up something effective like that. Sure. I I could see potential industrial uses as well, robotics control and such like that. Um, The the Thelmic Labs says that you should get a full day use out of a single charge. So the battery should last you all day, but they don't say how much of a day that is, you know, constant use or, or occasional use throughout the day. So. Yeah, my mouse use is pretty constant. So, mm-hmm. I did not. I did not have. There is no disco disco arm movement, unfortunately. So, I'm gonna have to wait for for something to control my Hue lights. Um, there is also a developer platform for that. So, if you want to play with it and you have 199, dollars you go right ahead. Um, if you have. <laughs> Some technical. Don't let us stop. You. Yeah, don't let us stop you. We won't judge. <laughs> we'll be excited. Um, maybe I'll try. I'll try your your app out with my my hue lights. So, our guest coming up is Andrew Thomas, who is a co-founder of Skybell, which is a Wi-Fi controlled doorbell that shows you who's at your door. And they're part of the bevy of startups that got the deal with Comcast last week. They're also a HomeKit partner. So stay tuned to hear from him about kind of how he got those deals and kind of the choices he's had to make because of them. And I think that's it. So we'll see you next week. Sounds good. have on our show today, Andrew Thomas, who is the co-founder of a company called Skybell. Hey, Andrew, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Casey. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I am super excited because you make a product that that actually I I want. I really wanted one of these for a while, and I've tried a couple and have been a little disappointed in some of, not a couple of yours, but a couple of other products in this kind of 
world of products. So you make a connected doorbell that offers a camera. And when someone rings the doorbell, it sends a notification to my phone. And it also can send me a video, right? Yes, exactly. So Skybell is a Wi-Fi enabled video doorbell and it replaces your current doorbell. And I don't actually have to be on my Wi-Fi network in that case. That's correct. Absolutely. So you could be, um, you know, caught in traffic. I could be like, UPS guy, just leave it at the door. And he'd be like, ma'am, you have to sign for it. And I'd be like, no. Exactly. You tell him I'm a block away. I'll be Got calling it. you if you don't leave it there. There, there we have it. I, I could beg. Maybe it would happen. All right. So the Skybell is available for $1.99. You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on HomeDepot.com, BestBuy.com. And if you want to see it in person, you have to go into a Best Buy store. We're having you on the show because this week you guys actually just signed a really big deal, or I think it's a big deal. You signed a deal with Comcast, and you are one of nine actual partners in their Xfinity home business. And I thought it was kind of significant. What did you think about this deal? I think it's very significant. We're very excited about about the announcement and to be included in you know, the Xfinity home announcement. I think that Comcast has a great plan for how to enter you know, the market and the, the team is focused and they have a just a great plan. So we're, we're very excited to be a part of it and, and to bring more security to their platform by letting their users know who's at their door and, you know, putting that control in and back in their hands. You know, maybe above all else, though, was their attitude about the space is what was very attractive to us. They took it very seriously and they saw an opportunity to create a very nice ecosystem and they have always prioritized the user, which is very important for us too. So it kind of felt like they shared our same values and our same priorities on finding out how to create a truly good user experience and presenting it to their subscribers in a way that is flexible for them. They can get as many or as little uh, as they want. And I think it's a, a good approach. So we wanted to be a part of that. And you know, we're, we're very excited about it. Got it. So you guys now have this Comcast partnership. And before this, you were also a an Apple HomeKit partnership. I recall seeing your, your name up in lights um, last WWDC on stage in June. And that's a big deal, too. So how are you kind of managing all these partnerships? Or how are you kind of thinking about how you're going to sign these partnerships going forward as a startup with kind of limited resources? It's a great question. The Apple announcement for HomeKit was, gosh, it was almost a year ago now. It was such a big moment for us. You know, at that time, we were just barely under a year old. And we were six months removed from shipping our first product. And to see Skybell included in that keynote presentation left us speechless. It was such a big moment for us. And it was it was a big validation for Skybell as a device, but I think also Skybell as a group of people who want to make a great product and help people. So I think they, they validated the product and they validated us as a company and as a, as a vision and, and a mission. So to answer your question, how do we prioritize? I mean, our goal is to work with the best companies in the world. And our goal is to get Skybells on more homes so that people have the security. I mean, the feedback we get from people just continues to motivate us to move forward. And, you know, we've already been a part of preventing a couple of break-ins. 
And when you get these stories, it just motivates you to want to get Skybelt on more homes. So, you know, when you look at, I can do retail, I can partner with people, I can look at resellers. What we love about Skybelt is that we can participate in all of those go-to-market channels. And someone can go to Best Buy and just say, I want to grab Skybelt because I want this point solution. You know, or they can say, you know, I want it to be part of a greater whole, and they can be, you know, at HomeKit or some other platforms um, we're going to announce soon. Or they can say, I want someone to come in and help me, Comcast, come come help me and you take care of it. Set it all up for me and make it work perfect. So I want to reach people every way. So for us, having these two companies who are absolutely top in their class is just phenomenal for us. And as we move forward, we're going to continue looking at who are the best companies and, and what can we do with them to create good user experiences and as I think as a startup, you got to just, you know, raise money and build a team to support it. Cause I think these are the things that, that validate you as a company and these are the things that lead to your success. So for us, it's a top priority to uh, have the resources to, to facilitate these bigger deals. Well, let me see. Cause in previous conversations, you've actually told me about kind of when Apple called you up that first time to tell you about being a HomeKit partner or ask you about it, because, you know, they didn't put your name up on stage without letting you know first. Thank God you might have. I don't I don't know what would have happened to you. <laughs> yeah. So so why don't you tell us about that? Because, I mean, for any company in this space, having Apple give you a call and say, hey, you want to work together? That's probably pretty cool. I, I don't know. They've never called me up and said, hey, you want to work together? I, I would think it would be pretty cool. You're, you're absolutely right. It was really cool. I mean, that's that's what you want, right? So when we you know sat down and we said, you know, let's start a company that makes a Wi-Fi doorbell so people can see who's at their door, we had an idea of who we wanted to work with. And these are, you know, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, we did that back in June, basically, of 2013, and their big announcement was in June 2014. So literally less than a year after incorporating filing paperwork, that announcement was made. And, you know, to have that happen in between those two time periods, what it meant was that that when, when we got the message and I first had that conversation... And they called you, right? Correct. They, they reached out to us and we were only a couple months old. <laughs> we were we were just starting out and Indiegogo had finished. It was just amazing. We just didn't think that that would happen so quickly. And to have them reach out to us to just say, we love what you're doing and we love the product. You know, why don't we start having some conversations around what's possible and to have that happen so early, it is, yeah, it leaves you speechless. Yeah, it it really mean, does. It, we just were, we couldn't, couldn't have been happier. And, you know, we like celebrating those moments, but as a group, we're kind of the people that say, oh, this is incredible. So speaking of all of this, I have to ask you, Andrew, when, when is Apple going to actually release their HomeKit product? Ooh, Stacey, that's a tough one. I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm in a space where I can answer that for you. I'm really sorry, but, uh, yeah, but I have to plead the fifth. Yeah, you're, so so if you tell me, you'd have to kill me. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Yes, yeah, and you know that's that's not what I'm about. So 
Yeah, I, I even like how you're. You won't even threaten to kill me here on here on the podcast. You're so you're so nice. Um, so I will wait for then. I will I will keep my my. I will wait for my Apple products and maybe maybe I'll cross them off my list of things I'm I'm hoping for for Mother's Day. So we're probably going to be waiting, but we won't mind because when it comes out, we're just going to be like, "Whoa, this is awesome!" I think so. All right. We'll we'll keep that in mind. So let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the limited resources, and we'll we'll tie this in with the Apple stuff because you had mentioned that design. Apple has a huge focus on design. You guys have had a huge focus on design. Your your product is actually very attractive. It does not look like a three D printed monstrosity that you know I duct tape to my door. I actually might duct tape things to my door because that's just how I roll. But uh, <laughs> yeah. my my husband will come behind me and screw it in properly because that's how he rolls. So with the resources that you have, how have you made your decisions? Because a lot of the companies who are in the space that are startups, they, do, they don't have infinite resources. So how do you make decisions on what to focus on? Because hardware is hard. And so... What have you guys decided to focus on and why? Oh, boy. I mean, you're absolutely right. Hardware is hardware was hard enough when you just needed to make a product. And now hardware is even harder when you need to make a hardware product that has to talk to your smartphone and has to talk to platforms and servers. And, you know, the days of making a product and putting it on the shelf are, are just over. So it, it's even harder than it was even just a couple of years ago. You know, before we stuck Wi-Fi modules and and everything that we made. So, big thing for us is when we went on Indiegogo and we raised six hundred thousand dollars. That was very helpful in getting us the resources that we need. Uh, but as a team, we also had some experience making hardware before. So we've been able to do this pretty lean and without raising too much money at early stage to get through you know the first iteration. And so for us, we always just prioritize how do we make the best video doorbell possible? And I think we did a good job of version one, and then we took a lot of theoretical feedback that we got during the Indiegogo phase. We combined that with the real-world feedback that we got from version one, and then we released version two. So for us, we've just been focused on the video doorbell. Even before we thought about integrations with companies and other products, we just said, we got to make SkyBell as great as it can be, give, the, give as many of the features that people have told us that they want. We've got to get that to them before we even integrate with other people. So the focus up until a couple of months ago has been SkyBell, SkyBell, SkyBell. We, we didn't get distracted by crazy distribution offers and, oh, wouldn't it be great if you did this? And this is a separate product completely. We... We've written them all down, but it's always just been focused on getting our product right. So that's that's how we've done it. You know, as a startup, you can't make five products at the same time. So we just said, let's make one product extremely well, and then we'll we'll think about those next steps. And speaking of next steps, what kind of company, where do you envision the company in a couple of years? Because a lot of companies in this space right now are stuck thinking about, am I a product company or am I really a data company? And I hear that a lot from from startups. So where do you kind of see Skybell? We're, we are a product company. We're, we actually refer to ourselves as a smart home security company. So, 
you know, what does home security look like in the future? And that's sort of what we're focused on. So we're, we're starting with, you know, a video doorbell that, you know, gives you a great sense of security at your front door where a lot of people really want it. And then we do use data. We do collect device data so that we can understand how people are actually using SkyBells. And what's important for us is, again, limited resources. You have limited power, so you can't do everything. So if I know users are are having longer video sessions or they're, like for example, they're using the on-demand more often than we think, then we can prioritize how we allocate power to different resources or we can prioritize the firmware so that certain features are more prominent than others. And we've definitely done that. And, you know, one example early on is we got feedback that people wanted the ability to turn off their indoor chime so that when moms put babies down to nap, it, uh, the FedEx UPS driver doesn't wake up their baby. So in the app in Skyball, you can hit a button that called silent mode that turns off your indoor chime. That was all based off of user feedback. And so we just said, hey, this is a great feature. Let's put this in. And so we've just been doing that along the way, and it's been working out you know, very well for us. So that's still where our focus is, and we'll keep using data to prioritize the features that people want and the people, you know, the features that people are, are using. So that's how we use data primarily. I like it. Yeah, I love, I love the idea of using both data and user feedback to actually prioritize your feature releases. It helps mitigate kind of the most vocal user problem because sometimes they'll they'll say something but you cannot now actually look and see what people are trying to do and then you're like oh let's do this Let, you brought up an interesting thing though what do you think security does look like in five or let's just say five years when i have a connected home for example i have a lot of things my security is now automated in the sense that devices in my house talk to each other so when i'm not home it takes on the role of turning lights on and off or turning my shades down. Um, and all of those are triggered based on certain events happening. So I, I'm just kind of curious, like, how a doorbell might play into that. Or, or maybe maybe your version of security is very different. I don't know. Maybe flames shoot out of the doorbell. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we just filed that, actually. There you go. See? Yeah. Because, you know, tasers, that's uh, yesterday's news. Flames is... Flames is the real deal, but let's see. So if you don't have flames coming out of the door, but how do you, you know, secure a home in the next, you know, five years? I, I think you, you really touched on it is, you know, right now you've got a solution that's tied to 2G wireless and it sort of creates this fortress around your house. And if you penetrate it, then, you know, it calls the police. And I think there's always going to be room for that, right? That, that full monitored home security solution. Yet I feel like, there are so many opportunities for homeowners to do exactly what you just talked about. So how do I appear home? So the person doesn't even try to break in in the first place. I think that's where home automation can support and help augment home security systems. So I see all of these preventative things possible because of home automation. So you said, are the blinds up or down? Are this, is the same light coming on or off at the same time? you can sort of customize your own home security down. I think we're, we're just going to see more of that where people say, this is, this is what I need. I don't, I don't quite need a $50 a month through your commitment, but what I really want is I want to know who's at my front door. 
I want to let them in remotely. And maybe I want a sensor at the backyard and something on the garage door. And between those three products, you know, six, seven hundred bucks, and I'm done. I got exactly what I need. So that's where I see uh, the industry going. Got it. All right. Final question for you. Just like this is like Final Jeopardy. You've got how many seconds? I don't know. Um, No. So recently, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, there was a great article on this being kind of a bubble, the smart home bubble. And it talked about products like connected toothbrushes. I I have actually tried one of those there. I I think there was the connected fart detector that I I have not tried. Um, But if I were a teenage boy, I would totally race race out and support that. And as a company that is selling you know, a connected device and thinking, I'm sure, you know, you probably think of yourselves as maybe more valuable than a, a connected fart detector. A um, little bit? Yeah. <laughs> no, no judgment. No judgment. I mean, again, think it's a good product for a certain demographic. Um, so, so yeah. bubble in this space. I look at, you know, the rise in platforms, you know, Comcast is not making a secret of its interest here. Google has, you know, Nest and is buying or bought Dropcam, bought Nest, actually. So what do you think your future looks like? How do you how do you plan to do you plan to stay independent? How do you plan to continue, I guess, being the best company you are? And I I should also throw in there that Fitbit crazy Fitbit just filed for an IPO in what will be last week by the time this airs. So, you know, it, it feels like, wow, there's a lot of really interesting opportunities here for a successful kind of connected device. I agree. I think that there's tons of possibilities. Sometimes I think that where we're at with home automation looks a lot like how social media was, you know, a couple years back, actually more than a couple years back now, you know, where you've got, Twitter, you got Facebook, but you got a ton of other stuff. It's like, well, let's connect dogs and have social networks for for dogs and cats. And, you know, people going out there and discrediting Facebook and Twitter because they loop in this social media platform that some startup wanted to do that connects dogs, you know, or dog owners. And for me, I I think it's a great sign that we're, we're getting articles like that because it shows there's something here, right? There's interest there's people just going in and trying to innovate every angle of the space which which i love i mean look at what it, it did for social media so i kind of feel like we're at that phase where you know even friendster was still around and you know myspace was big we don't know where this whole thing's going i just know that it's for real when companies i mean look who's involved apple you know samsung google microsoft Comcast get involved, all the ISPs, they're involved, Home Depot, Amazon. I mean, it's everywhere. So I don't think it's necessarily a bubble. I think we're getting a lot of good attention. That's how I see it. Could SkyBell become the, you know, the? I mean, with Google buying Nest, that was kind of one of the big kind of hopes for a, a independent company that rises out of this kind of I won't say bubble, but this flurry of activity. Could Skybell be one of the big independent, the Ebays or the Amazons coming out of the smart home kind of flurry? You know, I never know what the future holds. I think that what we have with Skybell is we we have a lot of great things going for us. We're we're very grateful to be in a position where 
you know, almost every group that we've spoken to has reached out to us because they know that having coverage at the front doors is a big part that's missing. And when I look around at the best product at home automation, and this kind of goes back to that Wall Street Journal article, is I see the ones that do well, that do something, that give real value to people. You know, Nest Thermostat helps people save money. It's also really cool and it's really convenient, right? And that's how it started. You know, Skybell gives you security, tangible, real security at your front door. You know, parents feel more comfortable leaving kids alone so that they can, you know, go on date night or they can stay at the office for another hour or two. And so, you know, our hope is to be relevant in a couple of years. And we're going to continue looking at ways to solve real problems. And, and, you know, I don't think our aspirations are to take over the home by any means, but our aspirations is to give people more real value. So I think when you say focus on real value, you can create lasting products and a lasting company. So that's, that's what I'm banking on. And I know that there's, you know, very niche solutions that might sound goofy that might, you know, solve a problem for, for some folks. And I know that there's something for everybody out there, but for us, we're staying focused on what are meaningful impacts that we can make on people and staying focused on those. So for us, it involves, you know, home security. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. And I look forward to playing with Skybell and seeing, actually seeing the pizza guy from from the roof when we're up on the rooftop deck. That, that's been my big use case. And I can't wait to see how else I use it. I'm looking forward to it. So thank you. Absolutely, Stacey. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to speak with you. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week on the Internet of Things podcast.